For tapes of end-time meetings, deliverance services, or Lake Hamilton Bible Campgrounds publication, Voices from His Excellent Glory, Declaring the Kingdom, writes Post Office Box 21516, Hot Springs National Park, Arkansas, zip 71903. Our website is www.lakehamiltonbiblecamp.com and lhbconline.com. There are many free audio files there. It's like going to Bible school at home. Thursday evening, November the 27th, 2003. First service of the Thanksgiving weekend teaching and deliverance camp meeting being held at Lake Hamilton Bible Campgrounds, Hot Springs National Park. Good, isn't it? Good to feel the presence of the Lord here tonight. Well, i got to say a word. Oh, go on and go on. Come on, stand right here. <laughs> Robert and his, the Cameron family has been in our, in our lives for, let's see. Uh, 30 years. 30, Over 35? 30 yeah. Over 35 years. They've been part of our family. And uh, when he was a little boy, he, about 14, I guess, the first time you came and stayed at our house. 15, yeah. 15? Yeah. Yeah. He's grown up a little bit since then. And that. <laughs> <laughs> but the Cameron family, have, we've been blessed and blessed and blessed over the years with the ministry of the Cameron family. And it's been a privilege to have them be with us. Robert's been with us for many years. Him and his dad and his mother came here. Yet, uh, then ended up Robert coming, and except last year is the first time he's missed us in many, many long years. Mm. And he promised to be back this Thanksgiving, and it's a privilege to have Robert to, to be here to minister with us and represent the Cameron family. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you. It's good. It's good to be here. Great to be here. It's a privilege to be here, isn't it? It's a privilege to be anywhere <laughs> when you can, when you consider the options. <clears throat> you know. I was just thinking about it just now. This has not, nothing to do with what I'm going to preach about. But I was just thinking as Pastor Glenn was taking up the offering. Or just consider. Consider how you're going to bless the camp this week. Because, you know, Glenn is the most honest person I've ever met in my life. They treat, they treat people well. I mean, I know they treat me well when I come. They, they, they cost money for, to fly me in and to speak and to do different things. They treat me well. They're very honest. They're, they're very integrous. And, but, you know, it takes a lot of people to help. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, consider, 6 and 9, consider what you're going to give. Consider. Don't just throw in a buck. Consider what you want to do. Consider what you want to see for your family. In other words, I'm saying, but giving your seed an assignment. You know you can give your seed an assignment. You know, when Jesus, when God sent Jesus his seed into the world, he had an assignment, didn't he? For this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. And, you know, you can give your seed an assignment. Every time you give, you give to the Lord, but you sit you yourself, Lord, I'm giving this to you, but I want, I, this is why I'm giving it. I'm giving it, number one, because I love you, but I want to see that son saved. I want to see that daughter saved. I want to see that nephew saved. You get him adrift? Yeah, you know, my, my, I had an older boy, 20, I have twins that are 25. I have a boy 20 and a girl 18 going on 25. And, uh, you know, she's, uh, and so my older boy was a great musician, very talented musician, but... About seven years ago, he just left the church and was out in the world. He's a deadhead. What do call a deadhead? Follow the Grateful Dead and all that stuff. And they uh, went out and sat playing in bars and all this kind of good stuff. And, and, uh, but I never give up. I kept praying for that boy. He's a very nice boy. No? We always have good communication. Always keep good communication with your family. Don't get so self-righteous that you cut them off. Keep communication open because they're going to come back someday. 
And I was talking, and I used to pray for this boy. And I, I, I always remember, every time I ever gave an offering, I would just say to the devil, Devil, I'm giving this offering to the Lord, but I'm giving it with a nail in your coffin, because that boy's coming back. Amen. Well, he's back. Amen. Seven years later, I was six months ago, he came, I was, came home from a Wednesday night service, and he was staying with me for a couple of weeks. He's married, got a baby girl, but he was down staying with us in Virginia Beach uh, because of his job. And, and I came back one night, and, and I just... I just as finished talking to my youth pastor about, you know, just pray for Robert Jr. because I think God's moving in him. I came into the house that night and he said, Dad, I need to get back to God. And he's playing the church band. He's on fire for God and doing a wonderful job. Amen. So never give up. But always, you know, when you're, when you're giving, visualize you're giving with an assignment. You're giving it to the Lord because you love Him and it's a thing to do. But you also put an assignment on it. I want to see that person saved. I want to see this healing. I want to see this person delivered. Just put, put some thought in your giving. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for that underwhelming response. <laughs> On here, if you notice over here, we've got the birthing box. See that? Now, I could read that, and I could thank a teacher for that, because that teacher taught me to read. But that birthing box, for some of you that have never been here before, years ago I spoke on Believe in God for Your Families. Every family member. By faith Noah, Hebrews 11 and 7. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. And I believe one of the reasons we're down here this weekend is not only to be delivered, and that's great, and we will be, and you will be, but it's also we're here because we're building for the saving of our families. Uh, maybe unintentionally, but we're actually doing something in our lives that will help our families come in. And I just thought about the scripture, when Zion travails, she brings forth. And, and uh, you know, and Zion doesn't travail worthlessly. When Zion travails, she brings forth. Some things they travail in, but it never brings to anything. But it's when Zion travails, she brings forth. And I just saw one night, we should put every name of our family members in this box. Because as we worship, as we travail, we're going to birth these family members into the kingdom. There are thousands of them. And there are many names being taken out. So listen, if you've got names here, family members, it's all been it's almost packed full. Almost packed full. Well, we'll always manage a few more. And uh, so you just be sure and get, the, get your names in there through the week. You just have to put the, the first name in because God knows. The first name. Amen. This is something else I want to share with you. I just, this is not, I'm not preaching yet. <laughs> this might be better than the preaching. <laughs> a lady was talking to me about six months ago, and she says, you know, my husband's not saved. And as she said it, the Holy Spirit just quickly said to me, he's not saved yet. And I began to see the yet of faith. You know, when we, say, when we make a statement like, this, my, my husband's not saved. There's a finality and a fatality to that expression. There's like a full stop and every demon in hell begins to laugh. But when you say something like, they're not saved yet, every devil stands back on their heels and begins to shake because that's the yet of faith. So when you're talking about your loved ones, not saved yet, oh, not saved, I want you to add that little yet on it because that's the yet of faith. Pharaoh thought he had the children of Israel when he was running through the Red Sea, but not yet. They got over the other side, he didn't make it in his army. So you see, not the yet of faith. Talk about your family. Talk about the faith. Yet. Hey, uh, uh, I need deliverance. I, I'll, I'll, I haven't been delivered yet. Get it? Get my picture? Because it's a yet of faith. So praise the Lord. Hey, man, I just thought I'd share that with you for free. <laughs> my voice is going already, Crystal. Better sing up tomorrow. I have my CDs and cassettes and books with me. And uh, I have three CDs. I have four CDs with me. I have three that are my own CDs. Uh, with songs that I've written. And also I have a brand new CD just taken out by our church. Our, our worship pastor used to be the worship pastor in Australia in the Hillsong Church. I'm not familiar with Darlene Check in the Hillsong Church. His name is Russell Fragar. 
and, and a great friend of mine, and we've just taken out a brand new CD. Tomorrow night, I'll probably play a little, a little, little uh, piece from it when Crystal's sitting at the CD machine. And uh, that's a little nod there, Crystal. And um, great, great, all brand new songs from the house, brand, songs that will bless your heart, and, and you can get them after the service. My, my CDs are 50. In fact, I'll make all the CDs 50. $15, $10 for cassettes, also some music books, and these two books here, By the Anointing, The Story of the Camerons. It's a great story. My father, 58 years ago, was the first one saved in the Cameron family. And about four weeks after he was saved, you're sitting in a little Pentecostal church, about half the size of this place tonight. And as you're sitting there, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, If you remain faithful, I'll bring in all your family. Well, my dad remained faithful. And guess what? God brought in all our family. Over 150 Cameron saved. Yeah. Over 32 in full-time ministry. Because someone stood in the gap. So listen, you can unsaved family members. Get this story. Great story. And, and furthermore, there's a, there's a picture of me here when I was 145 pounds. That's a collector's item right there. <laughs> It'll never be like that again. Unless I have AIDS and I have no intention of getting AIDS. <laughs> this one, how to get all your family saved. How to get all the great books. So get them after the service. The books are $10. And take me home with you. Amen. Turn to the, if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to Psalm 133. The best book to read is the Bible, isn't it? I just, as I said, I'm from Virginia Beach. Scotland, obviously, originally, but I've lived in Virginia Beach for 20 years. I've been at this church for 20 years, and Virginia Beach Christian Life Center. But in the last five years, it's came from 300 to 2,000 people. We're experiencing a tremendous move of the Holy Spirit. Over 50 decisions every week, people getting saved. It's the most exciting church. And I'm a very busy man. I'm busier now than I've ever been in my life. That was one of the reasons I couldn't come last year. I've just been so busy in, in, in doing what in the, in the vineyard that God has given us. So yeah, I hope to get back next year. I don't know. But praise God, we're busy doing what God wants us to do. But it's this exciting. I just want to bless your heart and let you know that there are people getting saved all over the place. You know, the devil hasn't got the last word. How many know that? Amen. Amen. You know, people talk about the devil and they magnify the devil. I'm going to tell you, I'm here to magnify the Lord. And tell you all the good things he's doing. It's just absolutely wonderful what God is doing and, what, and how he's doing it. Psalm 133. And I thought, you know, tonight, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And, 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 and you know, I just sing that little chorus come along and I play this afternoon. And you, actually, is that monitor? Is it it's the monitor? It's feeding back, Glenn. Is it the monitor? Is it feeding back, no? Something's feeding back, no? Yeah, just cut me down just a little bit. Will you? I was just thinking, you know, we, we're celebrating Thanksgiving. And I was just thinking a little bit about Thanksgiving, what it is, you know, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an attitude. It's an attitude. I remember one time, I, I, I was back in Scotland a, few, oh, a long time ago, 25 years ago, and this young evangelist was coming through, but the same age as me, I was young then too. And he was coming through, and, and I remember I had this nice suit I had bought, a really nice suit, because I used to dress really, really nice before I got kids. Once kids came along and they upchucked in your suit, it wasn't the same. But I still do. I still do dress very nice when I'm in church. But I had this beautiful suit. It, it, my brother had taken out one night, my unsaved brother at the time, and he got drunk and he ripped up the pants of the suit. But I got it mended, what they call invisibly mended. But I knew the, this, this thing was there. And me being so proud, I, I wouldn't wear the suit again, probably. So I thought, I'll give the suit to this evangelist guy. So, and I bought a, another brand new suit, a really nice suit. And so, I'm a, so this uh, uh, Jeannie's name was Jean Vincent, and he came in and, and he, tr- he, he I tried on the suit. I gave him dinner one night. He tried on the suit, and this suit, he was so thankful that I ended up giving him the two suits. 
<laughs> he was so thankful that I said, hey, I've another suit I'm going to give you. Because even just, it fitted him to a T, just the same size as me. And so I, I ended up giving him both suits. See, thankfulness, thankfulness is an attitude. It's an attitude of gratitude. And there's something about doing something for people and them being thankful that blesses your heart. You think God's any different? You think God likes our whinging and complaining and moaning and, 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 and carrying on with ourselves after all He's done? Hasn't the Lord done all He said He would? Thanksgiving is an attitude. Thanksgiving is a decision. David said, I will bless the Lord in Psalm 34. He did. It was an act of His will. Thanksgiving is a decision you can make tonight and say, I'm going to stop complaining, I'm going to stop murmuring and complaining, and I'm going to start thanking God for everything that ha- that, 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 that's happened in my life. Yeah. My grandfather was an alcoholic for 40 years. He was saved when he was 58. And he was completely delivered from alcohol and nicotine and, and that, that, that night. And it, we used to tease Granddad, you know, this is years later, and I was an older man, and, and my, my cousins and I would, would sit to Granddad, hey, Granddad, we have a lot to give thanks for. And every time without fail, he would stop us dead in the middle. No, we have everything to give thanks for. Because the Bible says in everything, give thanks. Now, some of the things you look at, you think, well, how can I give thanks for that? I'll tell you why. Because God's in control of everything that's happening in our lives. And even though we take downward spirals, the truth is God is going to lift us up sooner or later and going to deliver us and going to take us out. Thankfulness is a decision. And I just want to encourage your heart tonight because thankfulness, I'm going to talk on unity. But thankfulness and unity work together. So let's see what the Word says, eh? Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers lift, when brothers lift together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there, for there, what there? In the place of unity, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. There is something about people and Christians, pardon me, something about us getting together to worship the Lord. Just when we're praising God tonight and worshiping God tonight, you know, I don't know, you probably did. You just felt just a tremendous presence of God. And there's something about getting together. Now people say, well, I can praise God at home. Yes, you can. But somehow God instituted the church. God instituted that we should come together. We shouldn't fail to come together, the Hebrews says. Don't, don't, don't fail to come together and get together because there's something about corporate worship and coming together in unity that brings us strength. The, the, the Bible says a threefold cord is not easily broken. And God, and, and God loves unity, and God wants unity, and we need unity. We need unity. See, Alexander the Great was a great his, historical conqueror. And he conquered most of the world that was known then, and he had a philosophy in life, and his philosophy was divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. Now, I know someone else that uses the same philosophy. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. Satan, the devil, uses the same philosophy. If he could get us this, this divided and split and on our little, and having a little, you know, a pity party on our own and away from the away from the group, he'll have us for breakfast. I remember years ago watching a, a TV program on the Discovery Channel, and it was about a, a lion stalking a herd of gazelle. And this lion stalked, them for, stalked this herd for three days, and as long as they stayed together, they were okay. But on the third day, one of the young gazelles thought the grass was greener on the other side. How many ever think that? You ever thought that in your life that the grass is greener on the other side? But the cow dung smells just the same. <laughs> so, it's straight off the beaten path, and a moment is straight off from the herd, the lion got it, and it was no more. 
I'm going to tell you something. There is something about coming together. There is something about being in unity with the body of Christ that keeps us healthy, that keeps us safe. That keeps us safe. The enemy will separate us with trivialities. I mean, some of the things that people get offended about is laughable. For instance, in my church in Scotland, when I look back at the church I was brought up in, you know, if you sat in somebody's seat, they would have a fit. You know, they'd come in and say, you're sitting in my seat. And I always wanted to say, but I wouldn't because I was more respectful. Well, I didn't see your name on it. <laughs> and if you parked in their parking spot, I mean, people park in the same parking spot, and dare you park in the same parking spot. And all these little trivial things that the enemy will come and split us up and divide us with. I remember one church in Scotland was split right down the middle over a hair and a pie. Yes. Is that a joke? It's true. This church in Glasgow, Scotland was having a potluck dinner for the building fund. And Mrs. Robertson was well known for her pie making. Apple pies. And Mrs. Mrs. Uh, Mackenzie, she, she was a great pie maker as well. And uh, during the, the, the course of the evening, somebody got a hair in one of the pies. A, a hair, you know, just a hair. So... Mrs. Robertson blamed Mrs. McKenzie. She says, that's not my pie, that's your pie. And they started, no, that's not my pie, that's your pie. I, I, I don't make it like that. And they started arguing. And before a month was over, that, those two women caused such a split in the church that the church was actually split in two. Over a hair and a pie. Now, it's funny, and it's so facetious, but I'm going to tell you something. Old Slewfoot, it's the, little, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. It's, when you look back and, things, and think of some of the things you've hussied out of here for, or hussied out your church about, you've kind of gone off, you know, oh, you've done some of it, haven't you? You know, you kind of, I'll never be back there again, too. I always say, well, don't let the door hit you when the good Lord split you. But when you think of some of the things you've marched out about and not been happy, it's absolutely laughable. But you see, the enemy makes it so real to you that he'll, he'll get you running because he wants to get you on your own. He wants to cause discord. Discord. You know that word this? D-I-S? It means the God of the underworld. So we know where discord comes from. You know where disease comes from. You know where... What's that? Thank you. Are you preaching or am I preaching now? All these different things come from the enemy. Discord, family, families fight over money. I was just talking to a neighbor of mine the last week in Virginia Beach, and he was telling me that one of his sons, and this, this is a wealthy family, but the more wealthy you are, the more they fight over the money. You'll, you'll find out. But, that's, but this family is so, we get to fight over money, and this son, like 27 years old, was so angry that he rammed his dad's brand new truck, just out of anger. See, the enemy will bring discord in families. He'll bring discord in churches. He'll bring discord over the most trivial things you've ever seen. Unity will stop all that. You know, when the, the wild horses on the open range, when the wild animals would come in and, 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 and attack the wild horses, the wild horses, the, you know, the mustangs, what they would do is they would go in a circle, they'd put their heads in a circle, and they would kick out and, and kick at the wild animals so the wild animals couldn't get them. You know what donkeys do? Donkeys do the exact opposite. They used to put all the rear ends together and kick each other. So what are you going to do? What are you going to be tonight? That's what that's the church sometimes we we're busy kicking each other instead of going after the world, the flesh, and the devil. See, the church down the road is not your enemy. The Bible says your enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. That it's not your brother and your sister down here who doesn't agree with you or, or uh, somewhere else. If they're preaching the gospel, that's not your enemy. 
Well, there are churches that you're enemy if they're not preaching the gospel. But unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. See, there's unity in diversity. I've got a different ministry from Dr. No. I've got a different ministry from you guys. And you've got to be true to your ministry, but I'm very, I'm very united in the ministry that's here in Arkansas because I believe in what they're doing. It's not my particular ministry that I do, but I, I'll tell you, I'm, I, I've got my own ministry, but I'll tell you the truth is, I'm united in what's going on here, and that's why I come down here. Because we can have unity in diversity. God didn't make us all the same. God made us different. Wouldn't it be boring if, we're all, if you're all good looking like me? It's just unity. Is, it's not uniform. We're all different. You know, the Bible says one has a song, one has a psalm, one has a verse to give, and, and we're, all, we're not all called to be preachers. We're all called to be ministers. Able ministers. But unity is not the same. I was in a church one time in Texas with about 300 people. And these people, whatever the pastor did, these 300 people did. I haven't seen, I've never seen anything like it in my life. When he stood up, they all stood up. When he shouted glory, they all shouted glory. When he danced, they all danced. When he sat down, they all sat down. It's like 300 clones of the pastor. No, no, that's not what God wants us to be. God has made us individuals. But there's unity in diversity. Unity does not come cheap. How many of you have to work at unity? In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Make every effort. You have to work at it. You have to make an effort to keep the unity. Unity doesn't come cheap. It's go- it takes work. It takes us maybe biting our lips. It maybe it takes us sitting back a little bit and, 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 and just not always having our peace to say. You ever had people say, Well, I don't care what they say. I just told, I just told what I thought. And how many of those people don't have many friends? It's easy to spout your mother. It's easy, to, it's easy to tell everybody what you think, but sometimes discretion is better part of valor. It doesn't come cheap. You know, if they make every effort. In other words, you have to work at it like your marriage. How many know you have to work at your marriage? How many know marriage is not just free and easy, bright and breezy? You have to work at it. There's times when you know, after 28 years of marriage to the Margaret, the same wife, there's times I just know when to shut up. How many men know what I'm talking about? Those times I just do what I'm told. In fact, I, I, you know, analyze marriage is great. After the first ten years, the first ten years is the worst. Because you're just adjusting your learning. And after that, you just learn to do what you're told and you get on great. <laughs> but you have to work at it. You have to work at your marriage. You have to put time into it. You have to put effort into it. Otherwise, you've got a pretty poor existence. That's why a lot of divorce is going on in America and all over the world. Because people are not willing to make an effort to make their marriage work. I had a guy come to me one time in, in the church. The pastor Cameron here helps us. Uh, uh, just, my marriage is on the rocks. I've given it the best shot I can give it. And I've tried everything. I've done everything. And, and he didn't come to my church. He was just visiting one day. So I thought, well, I said, well, and he's writing on about he's given it his best shot and he's done this, he's done that. So I said, well, how long have you been married? He said, three weeks. <laughs> and I laughed. He's given it his best shot in three weeks. Yeah. A better man than me. But that's how we think. But we have to work at it like we have to work at it. You make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the body. You've got to work at it. It's going to take time to get unity. Three thoughts in unity. On the Psalm 133 here, it's when the tribes came together for a celebration. There are several feasts over the year. And this is Psalm is written during one of the feasts. And it's just, you know, it's, the people are coming from the countryside, they're coming from the farms, they're coming into Jerusalem, and they're meeting one another for the first time in months, maybe. 
and they're just hugging one another, and they're, they're enjoying one another, saying, yeah, how you doing, Levi? How you doing, Reuben? Oh, not too bad. Stocks are up. <laughs> you know, they're just enjoying one another, they're seeing each other, and, and, they're, and, they're, and the psalmist is looking back, looking at that, and thinking, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's, it's, it's a feast when the tribes get together. The other thought is, it's two brothers living under the same roof, married. You know, in Jewish custom, oftentimes sons would live in the same household and, and just work and work together, living in the same household and work together in the same business, but all live under the same roof. How many of that's hard? The first year I came to America, not the first year I came to Virginia Beach, is 22 years ago. The first time I came to Virginia Beach, my father and my mother, myself and my wife, and my two children then, and my brother and his wife, we, we rented this nice big house and we lived together for a year. And it was a year from hell. Because three cooks don't work. Three, three women in the kitchen, it's not going to make it. And, I was, and I'm a peacekeeper. If you know me, I'm, a, I'm blessed out of those that are peacekeepers because I'm always running, trying to keep the peace. I was run ragged trying to keep peace amongst these three women. But the thought of unity is, is living under the same roof, yet getting along together. Making it happen. Making every effort to make it happen. In John 17, we read the Lord's Prayer. Now, we often say the Lord's Prayer is Matthew chapter 6, our Father which art in heaven. No, no, that was a prayer he taught us to pray. But the Lord's Prayer is in John chapter 17. And he says, this is the Lord's Prayer. The nut, the, this is a nutshell of it. That they all may be one. That they all may be one. Three times in his prayer, Jesus prays this, that they all may be one as we are one. You know the Father's Prayer tonight? You know Jesus and the Father talking about Oh, I'd love to see unity in the church. We, we want to see unity in the church. There's so much division. There's so much stupidity. There's so much anarchy going on in the church. How would it be if there's unity? That they all may be one. That they all may be one. God wants you and I to endeavor to have unity in our lives, and unity in the churches, and unity in our, in our families. I read a sign one time. It says that we all may be one, O-N-E, that the world may be one, W-O-N. We all may be one, that the world may be one. And the Lord's Prayer was that we should be one. And I read a quote one time with Henry Ford. He said, listen, getting together is a beginning. Staying together is progress. Working together is success. There's one thing with coming together. That's a beginning. Staying together, there's progress. But working together and loving one another, that's success. That's success. Can I hear an amen? The beauty of unity... Number one, God covets it, and the devil dreads it. God loves unity. Jesus prayed, I've already said. But the, but the fact that God covets it, you know, sometimes we must make the heart of God sad. He must shake his head sometimes. The only, the, the only thing that would keep God going is, is he's got the world in the palm of his hands, and he knows the end from the beginning. But he must look down sometime at us and... Ay, 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 ay. You know, what... what what wasting time we're doing because we're doing our own things and we're, we're split up and we're divided up and we're, do, and we're just wasting time. Because one shall chase a thousand, two shall put ten thousand to flight. See, not only have we longed for unity, but God longs for unity. It's the one thing the church can have that the world can't. How many know there's no unity in the world? I mean, just look at the news, look at the newspaper today, and what at war. I mean, how many nations are the American troops in at the present? Because of war, because of disunity, because of discord. 
In fact, they're, they tell me that at, the, at any given moment, there are 66 wars going on. I think it's even more than that. 66 wars. See, unity was broken in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, the first sin separated man from God. Remember when Adam and Eve took the apple and disobeyed God? It separated, the communion was broken. Unity was broken between man and God. In Genesis chapter 4, the second sin separated man from man. And brotherhood was lost. Remember the story about Cain murders his brother Abel? And you know, Cain had all the chances to not to kill his brother because God said to Cain, what's wrong with you? Why are you downcast? He said, just take care, Cain, because sin is knocking at your door. He had all the opportunity to, not to do what he did, but something where there's in the heart of Cain and he murdered his brother and communion, communion with man, man to man, separation by man to man and brother who was lost. The unity is not brought about by just organization. We have to have a common goal. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, David takes over the, the, warring, the, 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 the nation of Israel. And David wanted to get Judah and Israel together. And in order for him to get them together, he needed to give them a common cause. And this is what, this is what he did. He brought the ark back from the house of Obadidim, and he took it back into Jerusalem, because there's some, he knew that worship would get those two warring nations back together and get them united, because after all said and done, there was a unifying subject to worship their God. And one thing that, one thing that worship does, see, when we're praising God tonight, and we're worshiping God, you know, we do it for about an hour, an hour, an hour at least, and, you know, we're not wasting time. We're hardly giving God something to work with. You know, we're giving God His rightful place. We're, we're praising God. We're exalting God. And as we give Him something to work with, then He'll bless us in the Word. See, we weren't just wasting our time. Don't think, well, where's the Word coming on? How long are going to... How, how, much, how many more songs are going to, is Crystal going to sing? How's that guy in the accordion? Well, I've never played accordion for years. That's the first time I've played a squeeze box for years. But I managed okay. Some things you never forget. You want to, but you never... But we weren't just singing little nice little songs. We were worshiping God. We were making melody in our hearts to the Lord. So He can inspire us. He can help us. And He can speak to us. Because that is deliverance in worship. That is deliverance in the Word. There's deliverance in teaching. There's deliverance in every facet of the war, of, of, of the kingdom. And David realized to get those two nations together, he had to get them into a common focus. And it was worship. See, we've tried to get unity back by lodges and clubs and all this kind of secular things, but it doesn't work. Because there'll be no brotherhood of man without the fatherhood of God. Unless we get back to knowing God as our Father, there'll be no brotherhood on earth. Because that's the, the common focal point. That God is our Father. God has the world, the palm of His hand. Now, how, how many realize tonight that God is not the Father of all? I know we say that God is the Father of all. Well, He's not. That may be shocked from your theology. But if you just hang on, I'll explain why. In Romans 8, the Bible says very clearly, those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, God created all. But those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And we've got to understand that. Unity doesn't come cheap. The Bible says in verse 2 there in Psalm 2, in 132, it is like precious oil. Unity isn't cheap. We're not talking Crisco here. We're not talking Western cooking oil. The psalmist is saying it's like precious oil. It's the oil 
that handmaidens would keep for their wedding day. It's the oil that Mary, in John chapter 6, I believe it is, or 12, knelt at Jesus' feet and broke her box and worshipped at His feet. It's the box, it's the oil that costs something. Unity doesn't come cheap. It costs us. It costs us. It was an oil that was used for burial. It was an oil that was expensive oil that was used for weddings. Unity reveals Christ to us. Because in the psalm here, we've got the type of Christ. Aaron was a, was, a, was a type of Christ in the Old Testament. And the Bible says it, it reveals, it, the Bible says it went down Aaron's head, speaking of Christ's authority. How many know Christ is the head of the church? How many know the Pope's not the head of the church? The Bible says that Christ is the head of the church. And He has made Christ to be all things to the church, the head of the church. God has made Him, Ephesians says, to be head over all things to the church. He has always been in control. As the head, Christ has always been in control. He's never lost, he's never lost his mind. He's never lost his way. He's always been in control. Run down his beard, speaking of his manliness. How many know Jesus was not effeminate? When Jesus picked Andrew and Peter, he didn't go, Oh boy, I want you. Because he looked for men that worked. He looked for a man that knew what hard work was. He was a man's man. He, he, there, was no, there was no question mark of, who, of what Jesus was. Fishermen are rough and tough. I, used to, I was a fisherman 30 years ago. I was a, it was rough and tough, hard work in life. No, but God doesn't use lazy people. Do you know that? If you read the Bible, you don't read anyone in the Bible. Jesus called somebody from their bed. Unless he was going to heal them, that is. But he, all the people he called were out busy doing something. They are doing what they knew how to work, and Jesus picked those people. Speaks of his manliness. And Jesus came into the temple in Matthew 21, in Palm Sunday. The Bible says he was riding gentle on a donkey. See, Jesus was so confident. Jesus was so sure of who he was. He had no identity crisis. See, if that had been you or me, we would have been riding the biggest white charger stallion you could ever see to show how powerful we were. But he didn't have to do that. Because he was so secure in who he was and who his father was, he came in on a donkey. And the Bible says he came in gentle riding on a donkey. That word gentle means strength under control. He, he, he knew the strength, but he didn't have to show it. He knew who he was. He knew what was going to happen. He knew father had the world in the palm of his hand. It shows he's, it's, he, he was a man's man. It ran down his robes, the Bible says, and to the collar of his robes. This speaks of his mercy. His mercy is able to reach even to the lowest soul. The Bible says his arm is not shorter than it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. I'll tell you, when, when, when unity releases and, and reveals to us who, who God is, it, we realize that there's nothing too hard for God. There's nothing, not a problem too small, and not a mountain too tall, but God can come down and deal with them all. There's nothing he cannot do. See, the truth is, Jesus had a down-to-earth ministry. Jesus was born in a manger. And Jesus came in a, in a, to the lowest, you know, to the lowest denominator, and to the lowest people, and just started ministering to them. Because the Bible says He was touched in Hebrews 4. He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. So very quickly, let me give you four necessities for unity. Number one, we need Friendship. In order to have unity, we must have friendship. The word for friendship is the Greek word philia. It means to love one another. We've got to learn to love one another. Now, to love one another doesn't mean you're always agreeing together. 
It just means that love covers overall. Love just over, over, over just encompasses all the faults, all the failings. Because how many know if you're married, your wife loves you anyway? Warts and all. As we do them. You know, but because love just covers. You, you just, you, when we've got a friendship going and we, and we love one another, we, we know the failings of some of our friends. We know the failings of some of our brothers and sisters. But we don't nail them to the wall. I can't understand the church sometimes. We bury our wounded. Rather than restore them back into, into full health again, we, we cut them off and, and say they're no good. But friendship goes down and brings them up and restores them and helps restore them. Our mission statement in our church is a growing church that is in love with God, life, and people, changing their world one life at a time. That's friendship. We need to have friendship. Friends do not have to agree on everything. In fact, somebody said, if two men are in business and they always agree, there's no need for one of them. <laughs> friendship, unity. Friendship to have unity means we can have our own thoughts but still be in agreement. In Proverbs 18 it says, those who would have friends must show himself friendly. We need friendship in order to have unity. Number two, we need fellowship. We, we need to have friendship, but you'll never have friendship if you don't have fellowship. Because friends must get together. The word there is koinonia. It means to communi- commune together. Fellowship. I'm sure you've heard it said that fellowship is two fellows in one ship. Both pulling the same direction. We need fellowship. Don't never let you never think yourself you don't you can't have fellowship. You I'll tell you something. When Sunday morning comes around, I don't care where you live, you need to be in church. I don't care if you like the church. If, if that's the only church that's in your area, get to it. We're something about fellowship because it's not just fellowship with, with our friends, it's fellowship with God. People say to me, Well, Pastor Cameron, I, I won't be there in, in Wednesday, but I'll be there in spirit. I always tell them, keep your spirit. I have enough spirits to deal with without your spirit being there. I don't like to see spirits. I like to see bodies. Because you know what I found out? Spirits don't die. Spirits don't put one dollar into church to help us build. To help us keep the lights up. Bodies do. You can't fellowship with a spirit. If you are, you're in the wrong you need the right place. You need to get delivered if you're fellowship with a spirit. But as soon as we need fellowship, friendship brings fellowship. Even Jesus said in Isaiah chapter 1, Come, let's reason together. He needed man. He needs us to fellowship with him. With him. We need to fellowship with one another. Friendship. Number two, fellowship. Number three, leadership. It mean, the word leadership is a, is a Greek word, nachat. It means to straighten out. We need, with all the fellowship and all the friendship, we still need leadership. Because if you don't have leadership in your fellowship, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have confusion. We've got to have leadership. And God is building a church of leaders. God, we're not just a church of followers. And I'm going to share this probably tomorrow morning. God is building a church of leaders. God wants to build a church of leaders, not followers. He wants us to be the head and not the tail. Amen? And God, and we need, if we're going to have unity, we've got to have friendship, we've got to have fellowship, and we've got to have leadership. The Bible says it is Christ in Ephesians 4 who gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. To prepare the church for unity. We need leadership to help our fellowship. And we need our fellowship to help our friendship. If we have no leadership, we're floating about like a piece of flotsam and jetsam. We need fellowship. It's like the guy said to his wife one time, I'm the boss and you're nothing. 
She said, that's right, you're the boss of nothing. <laughs> we need to have leadership in our fellowship to lead our church and to lead our, our families right. And number four, worship. Worship. And there's one thing we need for unity is worship. I've already said it. That when David took over the, the kingdom of Israel, the first thing he did was restore worship back to Jerusalem. They went to pick up the ark. And the Bible says in Second Chronicles chapter 5, when the trumpeters and the singers made as one sound to glorify the Lord, the glory of cloud filled the temple so that the priests could not stand to minister. Where do you think the priests were? They were on their backs. I'm a good over in the old time. Hallelujah. We need worship. We need to understand that worship is not just for God. And worship is for God. But worship is for us. To get us close to God. and to get us to for, I don't know if you know this, but somebody will come into a service and you know, your mind's a thousand different ways. And you're full of problems, full of business problems, full of this and that. And you come into church and then the, the worship leader starts off and we start praising God. And all of a sudden you center your thoughts in God. You center your thoughts in Jesus. And all that stuff seems to fall off. No, it doesn't go away. But you just get a perspective on it. You get a perspective on it. Because after all, that stuff is trivial stuff. This is really the important stuff we're doing now. Because God is God. He always will be God. He's got, our, he's got us in the palm of His hands. And He's got our business in the palm of His hands. He's got our families in the palm of His hands. Amen? So whatever. But as we begin to worship, we begin to center our thoughts on Him. And we begin to see things from His perspective. And when we see things from His perspective, things are not as bad as they seem. That they all may be one. In Genesis chapter 11, God comes down and they're decided to build the Tower of Babel. Remember the story there? In Genesis chapter 11. And God said, if these people, the Babylonians, if these people be of one mind, to speak the same language, nothing they want to do will be impossible for them. That's amazing, isn't it? If these people be of one mind. I'm going to tell you folks tonight, if we are of one mind, we speak the same language, nothing will be impossible for us. There's many times people need to be healed, but they're not healed because we're just not in unity. That we're just doing our own thing, we haven't got that unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And God wants us to have unity. For unity, we'll have to give up agendas, perhaps bite our lips. We may have to confess to one another some secret offense or something perhaps that we've felt for years. But whatever it takes. See, the truth is, unity doesn't see through each other. Unity sees each other through. People have come too far to see through each other. It's time we see each other through. Listen, I'll finish with this. Three principles for a healthy church. Number one, love God. Number two, love the lost. Number three, love one another. See, so many times we're busy loving God and loving the lost that we forget to love one another. But God says, but the Bible says, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, Jesus talking, that you have love for one another. So why can we go for the lost, and yet our brothers and sisters, there's no, there's no communication, there's no love with our brothers and sisters? It's wrong, it's stupid. Duh. But God just wanted me to share that tonight. This night of Thanksgiving, 2003, God wants us to be united. Unity and diversity. We're all different, but you're, we're united. But come to this camp meeting to see people saved, to see people delivered, to see people set free, to see people get their ministry back, to see people get their joy back. You know how it's going to come? Through unity. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Oh, Jesus.
Now, you may be here tonight, you've never given your heart to Jesus. Most of you I don't know, some of you I do know, but just in case, if you're here tonight, you've never given your heart to Jesus. You're going to say, Robert, I want to give my heart to Jesus. You may be here tonight, you're saying, well, Robert, I, I did make a decision at one time, but somehow I've fallen off the bandwagon and I need to get back to God. If you're here tonight, you're in either one of these two categories. Slip your hand up. And I'm going to pray with you. Come on, that's one. Who'll be number two? Number two. Come on, yes. Amen. Who'll be number three? Number three. Quickly. I want to get back. I want to get my life to Jesus. I want to get back on track with, 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 with where I ought to be in my love relation with Jesus Christ. Come on, slip that hand up. Who'll be number three? I'll say that hand. Okay. Amen. Amen. If you're here tonight, you're going to say, Robert, I understand what you're saying about unity. And sometimes I've been guilty of causing discord, and I've been guilty of just not flowing in unity, but tonight I determine in my heart and I'm going, to, I'm going to be a person of unity, and I'm going, to, I'm going to do everything I can to bring a unity in my family, in my church. Let me see that hand tonight. Be honest. Yes. Amen, amen, amen. Hands up all over the place. Now, let's, let's say this prayer with, with me all together. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. There's room in my heart for you. Take away my sin. The sin I know about. And even the sin I don't know about. Cover me with your precious blood. And help me from this day forward to be what you want me to be. As I now confess, Jesus Christ is my Savior. And Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Now, Father, I just thank you tonight for this group of people. Lord, for their attentiveness. I thank you for the ear, Lord. I thank you for the Word. Your Word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And, Father, I pray that Word will go out to every heart here tonight. Every heart, Lord, just impart into every heart, implant the truth of your word that we need to be united. Lord, for those that lifted their hands and said they wanted to be a part of a united kingdom. Father, in Jesus' name, we bless them. We honor them, Lord. And help us, Father. Help us to get out of the realm of isolation and help us to be who you want us to be. Help us to be a loving, friendly, with fellowship and leadership. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your, your kingdom. We thank you for our brothers. We thank you for our sisters. All those that are proclaiming the good news. We bless them tonight. And Father, help us to be a peacemaker and the unity and, keep, and, and endeavor to keep the unity in the bond of peace. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Bless you, Brother Glenn. Our website is www.lakehamiltonbiblecamp.com and lhbconline.com. There are many free audio files there. It's like going to Bible school at home.